What goes into your car? As new minerals are rapidly making their way into our everyday life, we're increasingly concerned about the footprint of the materials that underpin our modern lifestyles. The fungibility of natural resources has helped some business players hide behind the complexity of global supply chains. To shed light on one of the most obscure commodities, join me as I pull back the curtain on the supply chain of cobalt. From deep underground all the way to your driveway. I'm your host, Osa Boschien, and this is High Grade. This is High Grade. To make responsible sourcing a standard and not a standalone product that comes with a higher price tag. If we're going to have a green transition, we also have to have a just transition. Consumers can push and should push. It's not about looking away, but about engaging with the local actors. This is where I get quite passionate. Too few are doing anything about it. Welcome to High Grade and this podcast series on responsible sourcing. As opposed to copper or iron ore, some minerals and metals are often sourced from small or artisanal mines, known as ASMs. Such is the case of cobalt, a critical commodity for modern batteries and the global energy transition. But work at an ASM cobalt mine is tough, often linked to child labor and environmental degradation, which has given the metal a bad reputation. My guest, Michael Dodin, is Deputy Director at PACT, an international NGO with extensive experience in artisanal mining in DRC and the broader Great Lakes region. Mikael, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. You and I are going to talk extensively about artisanal and small-scale mining today. But I think a good place to start is how does a small or artisanal mine work? There is no one ASM mine, which is um, already the, the complex start because every mine is very different, especially in the ASM sector. Okay. And um, a mine can vary very much in terms of size and number of people involved, from just a few miners to various thousands or dozens of thousands of people. And there are many different tasks and role uh, with specific relations. So we have diggers, crushers, washers, transporters, traders, just to name a few. And they usually use um, rudimentary tools. So it's a very low level of mechanization or no mechanization at all. I can give some statistics about ASM to understand also the importance of uh, ASM in today's uh, world economy. Around 70% of the world's cobalt comes from the DRT. And from those 70%, it is estimated that around 20 to 30% comes from ASM. So which means that um, ASM in the DRC produces around 10 to 12% of the world's cobalt, which is uh, indeed significant. And this ASM is fundamental for livelihood. Only 10% of the global production comes from ASM. So the other 90% coming from large-scale mining. But reversely, 90% of the total global mining workforce are artisanal and small-scale miners. And that's why ASM is fundamental as, as a development force. The terminology we use, ASM, it covers both small and artisanal mining. Do you, in your work, differentiate between the two types? 
There are small differences between both. Mm -hmm. We usually uh, group them together because they require similar interventions. Mm -hmm. uh, in both ways, um, they will use rudimentary tools. It will involve a um, high level of workforce, um, which will work with bare hands. Um, and there may be just some more equipment that would be used by a small-scale mine as opposed to an artisanal mine. And in general, um, a first way to develop a mine would be to move from artisanal to small-scale. So there would be a, a higher level of organization when we talk about the small-scale mining. But in general, because they face similar challenges, similar issues, we will group them as um, together as ASM. And we will work on those um, with, with similar type of interventions. ASMs are marginal contributors to, say, global copper production. But as we've mentioned, for other commodities, uh, they represent a significant fraction of global supply, cobalt, for example. Um, do informal miners sell their products directly or consolidate volumes with others to achieve better prices? So this question points to two fundamental challenges and issues that um, I would like to address first. Um, the first being the issue of informality and second around price. So formalization as opposed to, to informality is a very complex process uh, which is necessary to achieve but it includes multiple layers, dimensions and stakeholders. From a legal perspective, um, formalization means having registered miners, registered cooperatives to have the proper mining title. From an institutional point of view, it means to recognize ASM in the first place, to have the proper policies in place. Mm. This is related to governance issues, for instance. You have some countries where ASM is recognized by law, by mining code, but governments haven't created an enabling environment for miners to have the proper permit and licenses. Hence, the importance to work with governments as well. Um, there are other aspects of formalization around the chain of custody, the transparency in the payments made um, with regards to health, safety and environment, security arrangements, human rights protection. From a technical and educational point of view, how ASM is properly done, from opening a mine to closing it. Um, then also access to finance is another aspect of formalization and um, it also requires to have the proper due diligence processes in place. Mm. If we look at prices, which is somehow a component or part of it, um, having better prices requires better knowledge and capacities to achieve better bargaining power and enhance better prices by the miners. That said, uh, price is very complex and um, this is not necessarily something that um, we as NGO have an influence on because it depends on multiple factors, on the quality of minerals, so the grade of the minerals, on the volume of minerals traded, the remoteness of mines, meaning the cost for transport, whether indeed the mine is informal or formal. Mm. But we do have examples where formality, formalization efforts have resulted in better prices because of the lower informal taxes that miners um, otherwise may have to pay along the along the route. So all these components of formalization need to be taken into account. And that said, 
we should not solely focus on the producing side, but on the buying side. So the problem is equally around um, the engagement from those buying it internationally uh, from ASM Minerals, meaning the downstream sector. So you're talking about the downstream sector, but there has to be a middleman. So who specifically buys from the ASM miners? So the, what we call upstream is basically from the miner. Uh, it's himself, herself um, at the mine level up to the smelter level. So it already includes a wide range of stakeholders. The miners usually sell the minerals to a local trader, a middleman, who himself will sell to an exporting company on the ground or a refinery, depending on, on the type of minerals we are talking about. And these companies will sell to international traders who may um, aggregate volumes from different, uh, different countries and will then in turn sell to the smelters. The smelters constitutes what we call the choke point in a supply chain because once the minerals are smelted, then there is no way anymore to know uh, where these minerals come from. Um, this is why any controls will need to be made prior to that point. Um, and that's where we, we differentiate between the upstream and the downstream. Downstream being end users, so um, companies working in telecommunication um, or cell phone technology and so on, who buys the, uh, the metals. We're going to move on now and zoom in on cobalt. Cobalt is a supply chain that is surrounded by controversy. Um, it has been described as a blood mineral, often linked to child labor and environmental degradation. But Mikael, you have extensive experience on the ground. Tell me what is really happening? Um, sure. So first, I would say we tend to um, avoid the term blood minerals or conflict minerals, uh, which is usually what is used for um, tin, titanium, tungsten and gold, uh, because it is stigmatizing and it may result in disengagement from um, the ASM sector. Um, of course, it doesn't mean that there are no issues with the ASM. Um, yes, there are instances of child labor in ASM mining, in cobalt and in other uh, minerals although not everywhere, not all the time. And child labor itself is a highly complex topic um, and there is no one size fits all approach. It's here key to understand uh, the root causes of child labor, mm -hmm. to develop interventions that are adapted to the local problems without disrupting local livelihoods, meaning without disengaging from ASM. Mm. Um, apart from child labor, there are other issues, um, of course, security, environment, human rights. But the point remains that these issues can and should be addressed with local stakeholders in order to resolve them. So it's not about looking away, but about engaging with the local actors on the ground to develop common solutions. How do you think that us as consumers, um, how should we read all those headlines? Should we think that they are exaggerated or one-sided? Um, on the one hand, I think it's important to show that there are issues that consumers need to understand and to be aware of, um, because that can create also some 
level of responsibility and accountability for um, big companies downstream who are uh, buying from those minerals or who depend from um, on those minerals. Mm. At the same time, what I think um, is too often contraproductive is solely to focus on the problem and to depict um, artisanal mining activities as only being harmful, which may only lead to further disengagement from the SM sector. Mm. We would like much more um, visibility of what can be done, um, how can ASM minerals be sourced responsibly, and, and it can, and there are very good examples. So that's that's really my my problem when I when I do read these headlines because it will most of the time solely focus on on the negative aspect of it. Are the products we buy directly responsible for human and environmental degradation? In this podcast series on responsible sourcing. We embark on a journey through the supply chains that make up our lifestyles, from mine to final product. Today I'm speaking with Pacts Mikael Dodin. We have started at the source, with the men and women that dig up the raw materials we use. And we touched upon it already, but in terms of traceability, can companies further up the supply chain know whether they are buying from ASM? The short answer is yes, um, they can know if they want to. Okay. Uh, so it's not impossible. Um, it's, it can be complicated, but there are, again, solutions for that. So it first requires companies to understand their own supply chain. And um, I realized over the years that it's far from being evident. So companies would start, would need to start mapping their own supply chain up to the upstream level, so up to the mines to understand um, whether they are sourcing minerals from uh, which countries and, and who are the suppliers. And that may not always be an easy exercise, um, especially when there are multiple tiers involved, equaling to very high numbers of suppliers. But that's why companies may also decide to join industry association or industry programs, and by doing so, to also support ASM overall. Mm. The key point um, in that answer, however, is different. Traceability, because you're asking about traceability, is only one and a small one component of due diligence, a process of verifying who your suppliers are, how minerals were mined, transported, traded, in which conditions, and so on. And this also includes the process of ongoing checks, assessing risks, taking actions to address and resolve those risks. So traceability will not be able to provide answers to those points. So that's why too often, um, I think companies may refer to traceability as the gold solution, so to say, um, but it's not enough. There is a risk for the downstream when it comes to engaging with ASM. Um, it can be seen as an, as an easier choice to only work with large-scale miners. Uh, can you understand that dilemma? I, I do understand it, um, but often there is a, as well a discrepancy between the theory, 
meaning sourcing or saying that you know a company will choose to source solely from a large-scale mining company mm-hmm. and there is a practice mm-hmm. um, where um, and I can I can speak um, for the cobalt sector in, in the DRC uh, where we know that ASM source minerals are ending in in the supply chain of large-scale mining companies so that's a way for downstream company to look away and not face the re- what the real issue is. Um, again, it is the question of you know how can you verify hundred uh, percent that the production you're buying solely comes from from large scale mining, mm. um, and there are um, there are many challenges in that regard as well. Mm. And you touch upon formalization and ongoing efforts to formalize these operations. However, wouldn't formalization put ASM workers completely out of business? Um, so the short answer is, is no, um, absolutely not. And in the case of cobalt, um, it shows that miners, formal miners, had higher benefits mm. um, from participating in those programs. Um, if we look at... Um, the the standards right um we see that uh, miners that participate in a formalized supply chain was less likely to have to make informal payments um to rogue agents or to um rogue soldiers for instance because the supply chain is formalized then there is a clear um chain of custody um, documentation and a clear, clear taxes to be paid, um, where miners can um, address or report the risks that they face, and that allows us to to address those risks. And and that's why it is much less likely for them to um, exactly fall under the radar, and and they will have the support that they need to to work responsibly. But there are so many millions of people working in ASM, as you mentioned in the beginning. Do you envision that all of these miners will in the end be formalized? Well, that's the goal. We do show that it is possible. Um, Of course, it won't be done within a day. Um, This is clear. It will take time. Uh, Obviously, 45 million people involved in the ASM sector represents a very big challenge. Yes. Again, I think the, what is needed today is a stronger, much stronger involvement from the end users, a higher awareness from the consumers themselves who can in turn put more pressure on, on the companies they buy the product from to uh, support uh, such interventions on the ground. What's, what's very promising is that the solutions exist and that you can achieve a very uh, important impact if you have the means for it. Mm. There is a trend though that I see from from companies, tech companies specifically, that they buy directly from large-scale mines. Um, I I do see such examples mm-hmm. um, indeed, especially in cobalt. It was uh, th- there were some announcements in that regard, and I would say um, again, this is a worrying trend to me uh, because 
It is about not recognizing what the problems are, um, what should be done about it, and trying to remove oneself from the responsibility of addressing those risks. Um, I can mention here in terms of um, some solutions that are put forward uh, by some companies to support their vision of responsible sourcing from, from, from large-scale mining companies, um, which includes the use of blockchain solution, for instance. And um, here, such a solution to me um, will not be the bulletproof answer by no means, because we will only um, know the traceability using a blockchain from the point where the information has been entered in uh, in a system online. Um, it will never provide the um, information of mm. anything that happens before that. So that there is what um, what we can call the first mile problem, um, the first mile until you reach uh, the point where the data is entered in a, in a blockchain platform. Um, so the blockchain will never tell you in which conditions the minerals were mined, whether the minerals indeed come from the mine they say it, um, they come from whether you had um, correct payments made by the miners and so on. So again, that shows the, the need to have a proper monitoring on the ground, the need to look at the bigger picture, which is um, again, the, the topic of today's discussion, formalizing ASM overall, because this is the only way you will um, progressively reduce the risks and improve um, the overall mining governance. And there are examples from other sectors, for example, fair trade coffee and that penalizes poor standards in the coffee industry. Would you be open to a responsible sourced cobalt certification, for example? Um, th there is one general problem I have with certification because um, certification can be associated with a piece of paper where you have a stamp telling you um, this product has been sourced responsibly. Mm. And in the case of the mining sector, um, with the many years of experiences that we have on the ground, um, I will absolutely say that it is not the right solution um, because we do need um, much more than one-off checks on the ground. Um, we do need ongoing monitoring, someone on the ground that will continuously be present, uh, record and report what the different type of risks are and, um, and support companies to address those risks. This is this ongoing um, aspect, which is key. Um, the, the certification approach to some extent um, may be um, associated with um, an auditing approach, right? We have, um, punctual checks, but it doesn't capture the um, the very much nature of ASM sector, which is very dynamic, where situations may change um, on a daily basis, um, where you need, therefore, to have a mechanism in place that will ongoing, uh, continuously address those risks and, and make sure that the risks are mitigated. This is the proactive and, and continuing process that will better show the uh, improvements um, that you want to achieve on the ground. 
Mikael, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, just as a final question, um, we've been talking today about responsible sourcing, and this is getting a lot of attention at the moment. Why do you think that is? Why now? Clearly, it should have been something um, that should have been raised much earlier on. Obviously, now um, with the green revolution mm. and the increasing uh, use of electric vehicles, it is clear that it has brought much more attention to um, minerals such as cobalt. Um, but your question is is spot on because. These issues have been ongoing for years, for decades. Um, ASM miners have been working on the ground um, for much longer uh, times than large-scale mining companies um, very often, and, and they have faced such issues. So, which is why we do need today to um, understand and, and create this awareness that um, not because only we talk about cobalt, that there are no issues in other minerals, and that um, we, we should solely focus on on one aspect. We, we need to look at ASM overall and, and, and realize that um, ASM miners provide minerals that are essential for today's economy and why we, we need the industry to uh, step up and, and to address all the issues overall and not solely focus on what is currently uh, being uh, the focus of attention in, in the media. Thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. Thanks very much for the opportunity. And thank you for listening to this Natural Resources podcast, the first episode in our series on responsible sourcing. The ASM sector accounts for 10% of global production of minerals and metals, but a whopping 90% of the global mining workforce, according to PACT. Working in an artisanal mine is tough, to say the least. But demonizing the sector is short-sighted. The problem is not going to simply disappear. The way forward, argues Mikael Dodin, is to engage with on-the-ground operations to support operating practices and ultimately the level of formalization. Thank you to our sponsor, the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development through BGR. Until next time, so long.